all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. our hundredth episode. Thank you so much. It means so much to me that you are here with me. And some of you have been here from the beginning. And I appreciate you so much. I can tell I don't know who you are. I've only met some of you when I've presented at ASHA. And I can tell you this, you're of great company. The people I've met at ASHA are highly intelligent, ridiculously intelligent, ridiculously passionate about this career. These are the innovators. These are the people who are changing practice. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how we can innovate practice. These are not people that are operating at the top of their license. They're operating above their license. They're looking at how can we do things better? How can we change lives? So you are in the best of company. Thank you so much for being here with me, I promise you that I'm always going to give you the research hot off of the press. Either this is research that I'm currently conducting, or this is research that just came out this month. And I'm going to show you how can we take these stats and these numbers, and what is it going to look like tomorrow morning when you are in therapy. Now, my premise to you is when it comes to research, I look at research that is random controlled trials. I look at research that is meta-analytic in which there's hundreds of studies that were looked at and this is the final product or systematic reviews. I don't look at a case study of one or two children and say, this is what you should be doing tomorrow. So I have some great research that I'm going to share with you from ASHA that I just learned about today. It's good stuff. And I'm going to show you how to put that into practice. Like I literally have drool coming from my mouth because it's that good. You're going to love this stuff. So that's how I am. I love learning. And I actually, sometimes when I read good research, I'll have drool coming out of my mouth on the ends of my mouth. And, uh, I think at this ASHA presentation, I racked up 50 different sessions and I took a lot of souvenirs back and I'm going to share the best of ASHA with you. Today, because it's the 100th, I think this one is the, the my favorite I'm going to share with you from ASHA. So let's just dive into what we're going to talk about. 
we're talking about how to language sample children who have autism. So there's two things I'm going to cover today. I'm going to cover what is the absolute best way you can get a language sample. So getting that language sample in the first place, what's the best thing you can do? The second thing I'm going to cover is how can you analyze that language sample quickly, all right, but also effectively, because not everything under the sun matters. I'm going to show you what key metrics you really want to pay attention to in that language sample that's really going to be a game changer. So first of all, let's dive in to the research. Now, when it comes to children with autism, you are going to make the biggest gains in your practice. And I'm going to tell you this from my experience in over 20 years of specializing, working with children with autism through the language samples, not just language samples auditorily. You have to have video. Now, I'm going to tell you what to do with that video. I want you to try out Descript. So it's D-E and then script, S-C-R-I-P-T. So Descript, I highly recommend it if you're an educator or a nonprofit organization. It's $5 a month, $60 a year. And what that's going to do is you're going to be able to take a video clip, upload it on Descript, and then you're going to be able to see a transcription next to the video. It's going to transcribe everything. So when the child is talking with autism and they're doing their atypical way of speech development that they do, so they're reaching out for the bus and they go, rah, and they're saying, rah, and you you would never say that's bus, but it's very clear when they're reaching for the bus and they're saying, rah. So you think, okay, this child is substituting R for B. This is very atypical. And I see them do it for the ball too. They reach out for the ball later on and they say, rah, and they say, rah, again. Okay. That's very atypical, but that's how children with autism develop speech. They do not have a, a typical trajectory. So it's very important to make these discoveries because when you discover, okay, they're going to substitute the R for the B because the R is a longer sound and they're better able to auditorily perceive it, whereas the B is a very short sound, the shortest sound in our language. Then you're going to respond appropriately and you go, yeah, bus, and sing the wheels on the bus song because you know raw is bus. So you're going to make those discoveries when you really listen and observe the children closely in their early communication style, because it's completely different from how neurotypical children develop. So you really have to, in order to understand them, you really have to pay close attention. And you're only going to get that if you have the video right next to the transcription. That's when you're going to make the big discovery. So that's why yeah, I have nothing to do with the script. I'm not an affiliate, but that's why I highly recommend it because I see very clearly as the video is going, there's the highlighted word kind of like um, karaoke on what is being said. And you're just like, what? That's sus. Sus is six. She, she has a six in her hand. Sus. Okay. Okay, I get this. So the vowels, the vowels are all centralized for her. So I, I can tell the parents that the vowels are going to be ah. Uh. So pay attention to the consonant, the first consonant. She's getting that right. 
So I, I learn about the children with autism and I learn how they speak differently. Why are vowels coming in lastly, instead of like children with many children with apraxia have difficulty with the diphthong vowels. Okay. Knowing that I'm going to be better able to understand you. So that is what Descript has given me. It's given me those keys that help me unlock the door and say, I get you. I see what you're doing differently because I'm paying attention to the speech right next to the action, right next to the context. And I can see what your rules are. I can see what you have difficulty with. And if I can see what you have difficulty with, I can change how I communicate to better reach you. Okay. So it's, so it's, it's been a real game changer. So that's what I'm going to recommend in the analysis. Now, when we get the language sample, this is what we're going to do. Either A, you get it from the parents. And what I would recommend is a mealtime clip in which they're eating their favorite snack or having their favorite drink for 10 minutes in length. So our research indicated as long as their mean length of utterance was under three, 10 minutes was plenty of time to get a reliable language sample that was equivalent to 50 consecutive utterances. So you ask the parents when they're eating, drinking their favorite juice or having their favorite goldfish crackers during snack time, can you videotape you and the child for 10 minutes and share that with me? So the reason I like snack time is it's a very communicatively rich time. So the research indicates is that's when you're going to get the most uh, non-contextually based talk, the most talk where it's going to be about uh, outside events. It's going to be the richest discourse that you get. It's a very rich discourse time of the day. But also I like about snack time is that it has the child seated at a table because nothing is worse than seeing a language sample in which you're seeing the back of the child's head. So you have no idea really what they're saying or what they're referencing with their eyes or their face. And the parent is walking around the house after them like a real estate agent from room to room to room. So you're seeing the entire house, everything but the child's face, what the child's interested in, and what the child's saying. So I like the mealtime routine because the child is seated at the table. It's a very rich discourse routine. And if you can have it so that every one of your children are doing a 10-minute mealtime routine clip, if you are using this information for research purposes, if you do want to compare child A to child B to child C to child D to child E, you have the same mealtime context. So that is my recommendation is their favorite drink, their favorite food, 10 minutes at a table. If they can use their iPhones and most parents at this day and age do have an iPhone. Okay. They share that clip with you. Now, if they don't have that, if you can't get a clip from home, which is ideal because the children are familiar with their parents, they're going to give you the most naturalistic um, communication sample possible. If it has to be in your clinical setting or your school setting, do this. I would use the A through Z type of alphabet boxes that have different toys inside because you're going to have animals inside. You're going to have vehicles inside. There'll be a nice variety. There's going to be dowels inside. 
for it to attract all of the children. And because so many of our children with autism do like letters, it's just been a very good way of having all of the children engage in the same activity. So for pre-testing and post-testing, we want to keep the activity the same because the activity is going to impact what kind of language they put out. And you can also compare each of the children's performance because they all had the same toy in front of them in the same situation. If we're doing research comparing child A to child B and what were the differences in their linguistic outcomes. So those are two things we would do. Don't make the mistake that I have made. Sometimes they think, well, I just want to use the natural environment. What would I typically do in a session? So I will use my CIS activities from my CIS membership, which are wonderful activities. But the problem is, is that the child will be absent that week and the child will engage in the next week, which is a different activity. So then I have different activities that the children are engaging in and they're going to be engaging in a different activity in their post-test. So that really takes away the, that's a confounding variable and that the children are going to speak less or more depending on the activity they're engaged in. So you want to keep the activity the same. I want it to be natural. Like this is what a typical setting is like. This is what, how they would talk in a typical setting in a typical day, but there's a price you pay when you go all natural and that price is you lose that consistency of that. It's the same activity. It's not the activity that's changing the performance. So that is what I would do for the language sample. Either you have your big A through Z alphabet boxes with a toy inside of each of them to keep the children engaged, or you have the children at home in a snack time routine for 10 minutes with the parent recording it on their iPad or on their phone, whatever device or their tablet that they have, and then emailing it to you. Okay, so that is how we're going to get the language sample. What I like to do when I'm getting a language sample is I refrain from asking any questions whatsoever. If I am doing the language sample and not the parent, what I like to do is I like to just repeat back verbatim whatever the child says. So I'll just repeat back whatever they say and mirror them exactly to not impact their performance. So the next thing we have is the analysis. Now, this is going to where things get really, really fun, where I told you about Descript. This is a real game changer. So you're going to have your 10-minute video clip. You're going to upload that to Descript. You have no identifying information. You don't use the child's name. You just use their initials. You put it up there. And then when you, after you put it in a descript, they're going to write everything down. What I do is I get rid of my speech where I'm repeating back everything the child says or the parent's speech. So I just have the child's utterances on descript. If the child says something that I don't understand, I put in parentheses what the child really said after the word. So if the child said sus for six, I don't want to change that because that teaches me what the rule is. I will write in parentheses, no space, because I, I don't want to affect my word count, right next to sus six. There's no space. It's like part of the word. So I can see, all right, this is what they're doing. They're saying ra for bus. So I'll write, so they say ra and I write in parentheses, bus. That's what I think they said. So then after that, 
I copy that descript transcript that they make for me and I put it into a Google Doc. So when you put it into the Google Doc really easily, you're going to go and you're going to take it and break it down into utterances. Okay, here's a two-word utterance. Here's a one-word utterance. You're going to break it down to their utterances, return, 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 return. So I like to have ideally 25 utterances. The child has an MLU below three. And that's because our research shown, and you can see this on ResearchGate if you want to check it out, that below three, 25 was exactly the same as 50 in terms of MLU. So we we saw no difference whatsoever when we did 50 utterances, which took us a week to get versus 25, which took much less time. So I take those utterances and then I do a total word count. So you just go tools, word count on the Google Doc, and you get the total word count. I divide that by, suppose I have 25 utterances, divide by 25, and then I get my mean length of utterance words. Now, it's not mean length of utterance morphemes. I prefer to use mean length of utterance words with children with autism, and that's because they tend to have gestalt speech in which they can use the contracted verb forms, but they can't use the non-contracted verb forms. It's kind of memorized chunks of speech. So I believe that using the word is a more accurate measurement, MLU word, than MLUM. And I have great norms to use. The norms I recommend you use is Mabel Rice's norms from 2010 and JSLHR. You just go to the ASHA website, look up Mabel Rice 2010 JSLHR, and she has the norms for the ages between three to nine years of children with language delay and those without language delay in six-month intervals. So she has the norms for mean length of utterance words. So why would you want those norms? Maybe you don't want those norms to say, okay, your five-year-old is operating at an age one. They're speaking at a one MLU. That's not one. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's at age one and a half. It's one. But anyhow, what you want them for is for the growth curve. So suppose you have a child that's at a one MLU and six months later, the child's at a two MLU. That is wonderful. That is a child that's beating the growth curve. And the growth curve, on average, children will speak at less than 0.5 improvement. So if you look at children in the MLU, they're going to maybe have an MLU of three at three years of age. And at three and a half, it's going to go up to like 3.4. So if this child went from a one MLU to a two MLU, they are more than doubling the growth curve. The expectation in a six-month period is that they would only go from a 1 to 1.4, but instead they went from a 1 to a 2. They did a whole MLU jump. So that indicates that huge gains are occurring. That's what's nice about using these measurements of six-month intervals is that you get to see huge gains. Now, what we're looking at here is, so I keep that on hand. It's table four in this wonderful um, document, 2010. These are the best norms we currently have available in MLU. 
and we have the MLU word norms. So I can always, I just hang it up on my bulletin board and I can always quickly access that. So let's look at what we're going to do next. So we have the MLU norms. What else do I want to know when I look at that language sample? Well, I also want to know what is the percent vowels correct and the percent consonant correct. Now, what I can do in just really simple way is I can look at the first hundred consonants and I can look at the number of consonants produced incorrectly and I can have a percentage that way. So I look, count the first hundred consonants. Okay, they said 10 of the consonants incorrectly. So the percent consonant corrects is 90% consonant correct. They did, they did 90% of them correct out of 100. Okay or 90% of 100, then we can look at percent vowel correct. So I look at the first 100 vowels and I say, okay, 50% of the vowels were not produced correct. So they have a 50% percent vowel correct. So these are important numbers because as I mentioned before, the speech motor disorder is huge for children with autism spectrum. So the reason the speech motor disorder is huge is because part of having autism is you're much more likely to have auditory processing issues. Also with autism inherent is you're more likely to have a motor disorder in the body and in the oral motor, in the mouth. Part of having an autism impairment is you're more likely to have sensory issues in knowing where your body is in terms of proprioception, where your mouth and your lips and your tongue are in space. So we have these mode, and we also part of having autism is motor coordination difficulties and difficulty. And this is related to changes in the cerebellum that's connected to the frontal lobe in these tracks. And that dictates the ability to perform complex motor movements, which is what speech is, on a consistent basis. So some of us could say it's not that they have a motor speech disorder. It's that they're four times exceptional. The four times exceptional is that in the ears, in perceiving the sounds, there's issues. There's issues in the motor disorder in the body, generalized motor delay. There's issue in the motor coordination in the body with the issues going from the cerebellum to the prefrontal cortex, which is resulting in difficulty in consistency and difficulty in complex motor movement. And there's also difficulty with proprioception and knowing where the lips, where the tongue is, where it all is in space in order to produce the complex movement, motor movement that speech is. So some of us could say they're four times exceptional when it comes to the motor speech disorder. So that's why we care about percent consonant correct and percent vowels correct because the speech and the language are intimately transactionally related. The speech motor disorder tremendously affects verbal output, speech output for so many of our children with autism. I see so many behaviors such as groping, they'll stick their tongue out and they're trying to talk or they'll purse their lips and, purse, and they simply can't on demand consistently produce um, speech. However, they can uh, when it comes spontaneously, not on demand. 
So these, this is what we're looking for. And that's why we want to get a look at that speech and the language sample as well. Aside from that, we also, this is very important, number of different words spoken. So in this current ASHA 2023, I'm going to be putting up at a research gate within the next week. So you can check it out on research gate. I looked at children that were receiving teach programming in the schools, and I compared it to children that were receiving the teach programming as well as the ABA privately. And what I wanted to know is, are the children that are receiving both teach and ABA having better outcomes in their speech? than the children who are just receiving TEACH. So that's what I wanted to look at. And this is, I think, very important research. And what I found is number of different words matters a lot. And I'm not alone in this. And I don't want you to label a child prematurely, but I will tell you that if the child produced less than five word approximations, they're just like not words, but word approximations. Like they'd say ma for more. They say ba for bye. You know, they had that centralized vowel. Pa for pop. Okay. Popping the bubble. These were the children that had the worst speech outcomes. So these are the ones where the speech simply did not take off when they had less than five word approximations. The number of different words a number of different word approximations, doesn't matter a little, I would say it matters a lot. And I can kind of exhale when that number goes up, okay? So I'm not the only one to find this. There's many other studies that have found this as well. The children that produce absolutely no words or no vocalizations, positive vocalizations, those are the ones that really do tend to have the worst outcomes when it comes to expressive speech development. So the number of different words matters. Now, this is where I'm going to get into the latest research that I think you are going to love. So at ASHA, I really took interest in Lindsay. So it's Lindsay, but it's Lindsay, like S-A-Y, Lindsay. So L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, Butler's research. So Lindsay Butler, it seems like she's coming out of the grant from Boston University that was given to Helen Tiger Flussberg. Now, Helen Tiger Flussberg is a guru in the field of autism intervention, and she received a grant for millions of dollars on autism speech development specifically. And there's a couple of researchers coming out of that lab that are doing their own thing, Lindsay Butler being one of them. And Lindsay's research is really on the language development, the syntax, and the grammar. My, my favorite researcher at the moment is Karen Shinovsky, who's also come out of that lab. And Karen Shinovsky is focusing on the elephant in the room, which is the speech motor disorder and autism and how that's impacting expressive language development. This is something that she is the only researcher at this time that is researching this important area. So I'm very excited and I watch her research like a hawk. 
and she's bringing out some very good research on a regular basis that she's publishing. So she's someone you want to follow. Her name is Karen Shinoski, C-H-E-N-A-U-S-K-Y. Some great research is coming out in her end where she's really looking at the speech motor disorder and its impact on expressive language development for children with autism who are minimally speaking. So these two researchers, if you're more into the language piece, I would say look at Lindsay Butler's work. If you're more into the speech motor piece, they're both really important. I would say focus on Shinoski's, okay? Or just focus on both and because they are so intricately connected. Now, what did Lindsay Butler find that's so interesting? I want you to check out AJSLP, March of 2023. I have the article right here. And Lindsay Butler is the lead author. And one of the uh, co-authors is Karen Chinoski. And so is the brilliant Helen Tiger-Flesberg. So we're looking at this article. And this is where things get interesting. The number of different words highly correlates with the syntactical complexity in terms of mean length of utterance and also the grammatical complexity in terms of ing verbs, plural s, articles, a and the, those early grammatical phonemes. So number of different words doesn't matter a little, it matters a lot. So I look at it as it's a very important clinical marker to pay attention to when it comes to progress. And also, unfortunately, probably when it comes to prognosis, but I always like to give a positive prognosis for these kiddos. I've always, I believe very strongly that you have to believe in these children. You're going to get good results. You have to have a vision of success for them, which I always do. But unfortunately, as I mentioned before, when the number of different words or word approximations is below five, in my research, I have found that the outcomes are much more dismal. So we're going to say, what is the number of different words that they use in that 10-minute language sample? And on hers, she used a 20-minute language sample. You might want to use her data and cut it in half, her numbers, because you have a 10-minute language sample instead of a 20-minute language sample. Let's talk about type-token ratio. Type-token ratio is when you look at the number of different words divided by the total number of words. Now, if you have a type-token ratio of about 50%, you're in a good spot. So 45 to 55% between the ages of three to eight years is considered solidly normal. If you have a type token ratio of 25%, which 25% of the words are different, that is considered below average. That means there's a restricted diversity of vocabulary. If you have a type token ratio that is above 80%, that means the child has a very strong variety of vocabulary, great diversity in their vocabulary. So that is where the type token ratio is going to become an important number. We really want to see diversity. That's a really good thing. If we see a nice number, not of words, number of words, they're saying the same word over and over again, that's one thing, number of different words. If we see that, we're really happy. What can we say? Diversity is the spice of neuronal life. Diversity is good in terms of verbal output 
It's a good in terms of the play activities the child engages in. It's a really great thing. So when we look at diversity, we also want to think of, besides the number of different words, their utterances. Now, you might not have heard of this before, but this is a really important metric I want you to check out. It's called intra, I-N-T-R-A, intra-repetitive speech. An intra-repetitive speech means their own utterances, not an utterance that you said, but they're repeating themselves over and over again. So it's kind of like what happens in the body when you're engaged in a restrictive, repetitive behavior, but it's in speech. So they're saying the same phrase over and over and over and over again. Take note of that. So if you have 25 utterances, for instance, and you're looking at about half the utterances, the child saying the exact same thing over and over again, you could say, okay, 50% of the time it's intra-repetitive speech. This child is saying the exact same thing over and over again, 50% of the time. Now, what we want to see with progress is we want to see that number go down, that the child is repeating themselves over and over again less. Because once again, diversity is the spice in neuronal life. When we see more diversity, not only in the child's body and what they do, but also in the child's mouth and what they say, the outcomes are better. And I'm just going to be honest with you, and that's because there's a price to be paid. If the child's engaging in the same activity repetitively, the price is the child's not engaging in a different activity. And remember, diversity is the spice of neuronal life. Diversity is good for the brain, especially early on at that preschool level in which the brain is at a high level of neuroplasticity that's just dying for new experiences. It's the same thing with the mouth. We want the mouth to be experiencing new actions, to be trying out new words and new phrases. That's really, really great. So we care about that metric. That's a really important metric. Now, the next thing we're going to look at here is we're going to see, let's see, is that it? Yeah. So those are all of the metrics that I care about. I, I care about the number of different words, the MLU words. I care about the percent consonant correct the percent vowel correct, and I also care about the type token ratio So, and the intra-repetitive speech. And so there's six things that we really care about here. So that is what we're going to measure. So this is what we're going to do at the time being when it comes to uh, analyzing. Okay, let's try that again. So we rolled up our sleeves and we got deep on this topic. Okay. So this is what we care about when it comes to language sampling. I'm just going to summarize it right here. The first thing we care about is getting the language sample. Garbage in, garbage out. We want to get the same situation if possible. And I recommend a 10-minute snack time with their favorite snack and their favorite drink sitting at a table. 
The second thing we want to do is if we're at a clinical setting, use the same activity for pre and post intervention measurements and also across children so that you can really make some comparisons and you can see if that there's some kind of um, patterns that are emerging. Now, when it comes to the analysis, my recommendation is to use Descript. Go ahead and spend $5 a month on it. It's going to be the best $5 that you've ever spent and get the educator discount or the nonprofit organization discount. And if you can't get that, it's going to be $12 a month, but it's very much worth it. Upload onto Descript, whatever the video is, look at the transcription. When you have the transcription, get rid of the adult's speech. And when you have those words that are not intelligible, put in parentheses right next to the word what the child meant to say. So we're not adding any words to the child's words. We're not, there's no space between the parentheses and the unintelligible word. Then after that, you're going to copy that transcription, put it into a Google Doc, you're going to make um, a number of utterances. So hopefully you can at least get 25 utterances out of that. That would be great. Then after that, you're going to analyze it for total number of words divided by the number of utterances. That will give you the mean length of utterance in words. You're going to take that data and you're going to go ahead and compare it to Mabel Rice's 2010 JSLHR Table 4. That's where you're going to find it. And there you're going to have the norms and MLU words. Use those norms. You're also going to look at the total number of different words that were spoken in that 10-minute period. And you're going to divide that number of different words by the total number of words to get a type token ratio. That token ratio, if it's below 25%, that says it's a restricted vocabulary. It's above 80%. It's a lot of diversity in that vocabulary. If it's about 50%, you're right down the middle, average level of diversity. We care about that number of different words a lot because that correlates to the syntactic complexity in terms of how long the utterances are and how complex the utterances are. It also correlates to early grammatical morphemes. So this is an important metric, number of different words. If you're going to look at any metric, that one probably matters the most. Pay attention to that. We're also going to look at the percent consonant correct and the percent vowel correct by looking at the first hundred consonants and the first hundred vowels and marking off the number they got wrong and, and then dividing that to get the percent vowels correct, percent consonant correct. We also want to look at intra-repetitive speech. How many times does the child exactly repeat verbatim an utterance? So look at that in the percentage of utterances. Out of 25 utterances, we're looking at five of the utterances. They repeat verbatim. You get a percentage. This percentage of utterances were verbatim. We want that number to go down as the child improves in their communication skills. We want to see more diversity, not only in terms of vocabulary, but in terms of the utterances they make as well. Remember, diversity is the spice of neuronal life.
So those are all of the measurements we're going to look at. You don't need to look at every single measurement. The research is indicating that number of different words is perhaps the most important measurement for children who are minimally speaking. Now, what does minimally speaking mean? Some people would say minimally speaking means a child that has a vocabulary of less than 300 words they use consistently. Some would say minimally speaking means a child with less than five words or less than 50 words or less than 10 words. That is what it means to you. I would go with a child with a vocabulary of less than 300 words that is inconsistently speaking. We could term as minimally speaking. And that is someone I would use these techniques on a preschool age child. Now, these techniques have also been used effectively with school age children. So if you're working with school age children, I recommend this protocol for you as well. So I hope that this information is useful to you. I can't wait till you try this out, try Descript out, try this method out. Tell me what discoveries you're going to make. You are going to make amazing discoveries because you're going to be paying attention, not just to words on a page or not just to words that you hear, but you're going to be paying greater attention to the child, and what the child's doing, what the context is, and what comes out of the child's mouth. And when that happens, you're going to better be able to speak the language of the children with autism, which is very neurodivergent. It's very different than what typically develops. And when we understand that language better, we're going to respond to that language better. And when we respond to that language better, they're going to talk more. The worst thing that's happening, what I'm finding happening, is a lot of these children with autism are talking, but no one is responding to their language or to their words because they are atypical. But when we understand their rules, then we're going to be able to better better respond. We're going to have better outcomes. So I want you to take all of this information roll up your sleeves. Thank you so much. It means so much to me that you're here with me for our 100th episode. (laughs) I know that you're an exceptional person just for the fact that this is what you're doing on your spare time here with me. You are committed to making the world a better place each and every day. And the children you service are so fortunate to have you as I am fortunate to have you by my side. So take all of this information and do what you do best. Roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. One child at a time, you are always going to be first.